Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. You know, last year I had COVID. Wow. So it was like KidsCon. We were like, we were supposed to set up KidsCon. That that was the day I, I got it, and I was like, oh, I'm not feeling good. And if you guys know my situation, I was, this was a bad COVID. Three weeks, I was totally bedridden. I mean, like, super high fever, uncontrollable. And I really believe that if I went to the hospital, I would have died. <laughs> my, my wife cared for me better in, in that situation. But I could barely move. I lost a lot of weight, a lot of muscle mass in three weeks. And, you know, my wife opened up the window so I could get some sunlight. But I remember, this is, this is then, I remember feeling like I could barely move. But I felt like I was jailed because I couldn't leave the room. I could barely move out of that bed. And I just imagined freedom. Imagine being outside doing what I love. And because I felt so confined at that time, I envisioned myself cycling. And that was, I used to be an avid cyclist. So I dreamed of riding my bike again. And I said, man, if I, when I get out of this and my body's well, I'm going to ride that bike. And, And that was what I kept thinking. That's what I kept dreaming of because that's what freedom was for me. Now, I share that to say, I did even better. I, I bought a brand new bike when I got better. First new bike for me in 30 years. Black. Uh, I treated myself because I was like, I'm going to not just ride my bike. I'm going to treat myself to a new bike, right? So it was good, and I had so much joy, and I was like, okay, uh, watching some cycling videos and things like that, and my daughter sitting next to me, and I was ta- talking to her about there's this bike tour that I did 500 miles across Iowa, and and, and I was like, oh, it would be great if you, like, you know, one day you can do something like this with me, right? And I, it was a daydream talk. And then I did better than that. I ordered her a new bike, right? If you guys know this story, I ordered this beautiful bike, hoping, and this was in October, hoping that by Christmas I would get a, you know, bike for her. Uh, come December, no bike. January. February, still no bike. You know, there has been congestions of this international shipping. It got stuck somewhere in the no man's land in between, and I didn't have a bike. I had to cancel. I had to reorder. So finally, after seven months, my daughter gets a bike, right? So she finally gets a bike, and it it was beautiful. I, I built it up, and this past week, we went on our first bike ride together. Now, the I give you all of that story to say, when a father gives a daughter not just a really nice gift, it's a beautiful gift, but gift like that cannot just collect dust. It's meant to be used, right? A gift needs to be used. So I got seven months in the making. Finally get her a bike, built it up. We go on a ride this week. And it was so fun. It it wasn't just the joy of the recipient receiving her Christmas gift seven months late. (laughs) Um, But the joy of the gift giver, her father giving her such a gift that she could enjoy and make it complete in her life. 
And I share that because gifts given should be used. Gifts given, I think the, the most sad thing is when the gifts sit collecting dust. Maybe some of your gifts have collected dust. You put it somewhere. You enjoyed it for the first week. You enjoyed it when you first unwrapped it. Appreciated the heart behind it, maybe. But you just felt like, ah, maybe another season I will use it. And then you forgot about it. And it just collected dust. I feel like sometimes our Father God gives us gifts that we have failed to see the weight of the gift. We were joyous when we received it. But sometimes there's a flare that dwindles over time and it's forgotten. And I'm wondering, are we stewarding the gifts that the Lord has given to you, to us? That's just a question. I don't know. But that was the imagery I received this past week. The value of a gift when used. The sadness of a gift when it's forgotten. And standing still. It would break my heart if I, such a gift like a bike, sits in the living room, collects dust, never to be used. Tonight, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told to his disciples. And I want to challenge you. Are we stewarding the gifts that our Lord has entrusted to us? Are we stewarding it? Do we even know? Do we even recognize? Do we even remember the gifts that he has given? Or are they possibly collecting dust or maybe forgotten. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 25. If not, I will have it for you up in the overhead. I say overhead. <laughs> wow. That's uh, transparency days. <laughs> Woo. I, didn't even, I don't even know where that comes from. I will have it for you in our PowerPoint, you know, more technologically advanced way. <laughs> overhead. Wow. <laughs> All right, Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. <laughs> and this is the word of Jesus. This is, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another he two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability that he went on his journey. Now, this parable that Jesus told you is probably familiar to all of you guys. I would be very surprised if you have never heard this parable of the talent where he, Jesus talks about these three servants. He, and he gave one, five, another two, another one. You guys know this parable, right? Okay, so it's familiar. Okay, and this is the setting. This man, this master, this wealthy estate owner. Now, we know, and just so you, if you don't know in your Bible, Matthew 25 and 26 is about the end time, sort of apocalyptic, right? Uh, this is in context of the conversation where the, uh, where the disciples asked. They were coming out of the temple and like, oh my gosh, look at this beautiful temple. And Jesus says, not one stone will be unturned, right? 
and he talks about the, the end times. And so Jesus t- told this parable about when the master, the owner, leaves and comes back, what will he see his servants do during the time that he is away? And the context here is that he gave the three servants, servants or slaves or bond servants, this is how it's translated, doulos is the word, but these three servants of his, he said, one, he gave five talents. Now, five talents in the Depending on the sources that you study, but it could be today's equivalent to million dollars. Some say $1.4 million, or another will say you are considered, if you have five talents today, you could be considered a millionaire, okay? But at the minimum, at the minimum, you're talking about $20,000, $30,000, depending on how it's translated, how it's, but it's a, one talent is weight of a monetary coin, Okay? But it's not small change, it's my point. It's a lot of money. So one talent could be 30,000, it could be, five talents could be 1.4 million dollars. Wherever in between, it was big chunk, according to his ability. One, five, one, two, one, one. Okay, and what we see from this setting is that the ability that the master saw according to ability, to his ability. So how did he know what was his ability? How do you know what someone's ability is by watching? How do you know? Over time, you see what they do with what they have done. It's pretty easy. It's kind of funny that when you look at investment portfolios and look at real estate, they always say past performance is no indicator of future results because that's a lawyer talk. But what do everybody do? They look at the past performance. They look at the patterns. They look at what they have done, how the leadership has done. They look at their capability and their ability and the, and the business model. The servants have shown some precedents and examples of what they have done with the master's estate in the, before. The master knew this. To his ability, he gave one five talents. That's a big chunk of change. To another two, and another one. Now you wonder, why couldn't he be so even and just and say, hey, why couldn't he give it all the same amount? Because that would be a bad decision because people, we, ha- we know there are people who manage finances poorly. Amen? There are some of us, $500 is a lot of money and they will blow it. There are people who consider $500 chump change because they're used to working at a much higher level. There are different abilities of different people. And the master recognized it, and that's the context. Verse 16, the man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more, but the man who had received the one, t- one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his money, master's money. So here's a three setting. Three different investment opportunities, and it's interesting to see how they responded. The one that's given five talents, it says he immediately, at once, depending on the translation, at once, as soon as he received, he didn't waste any time getting to work to put that money into the investments to make it work for him. And you know what's going to happen. The guy with the two talents 
not as urgent, but got to work. The man with a one dug a hole. Buried it. Did nothing with it. Okay. Can you already see the difference in the attitudes? I don't know what the guy with a five did to multiply the five to ten, to double. Taking 1.4 mil and maybe 2.8 mil. I don't know. But he didn't waste any time. It was his attitude. It's what his belief. What his capability and the master knew this. That's why he entrusted him the greatest amount of the five talents. The two got to work. Not as urgent. But the one buried it. Did nothing with it. And funny thing is the master knew, kind of knew. He already knew he was going to be lazy. He already knew that it was, uh, I don't expect much of it, but I'm going to give him a chance. And sure enough, he fulfilled that expectation. Okay. So there's different perceptions to the opportunities given to various people. Matthew 25, 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in the charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. At sea. I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge with many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So the master of the house returns. He settles account with his servants, and he sees what they have done. And to the first two, he says, well done. You have been faithful with a little. Now I will give you even more. I, I want you to get this. The master had more than the five talents to give, to entrust. Master was using that opportunity to see what are you going to do with it, with my few things. For you, some of you guys, one talent is a lot of money. For some of you guys, five talents is okay. But what will you do with what the master entrusts to you? Because by what you do, he says, this is a little chump change, but I'm going to see if what you're going to do. If you are faithful to the little things, you will be faithful to the greater things. And, and so he sees that and share it in my joy. I, I have even more for you. That's the master's heart. Finally, the one, the third servant. Because sometimes there's a third kind of servant in every church. I don't think that's you guys, but just in case, we'll go over. Verse 24, then the man who had received one talent came, master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Let me stop there. Not only was the servant lazy to not do anything with the talent that was entrusted to him, but he was also a fool who didn't know what to say or how to shut himself up. Did you know that there is wisdom in just shutting yourself up? There is. This guy was a fool. There's foolishness written all over here. 
read between the lines. He told his boss, whether it's a master, owner of the estate, his boss, oh. And he said the things that you only say behind the back. Oh, he's a hard man, man. He, he's ruthless. He, he's going to get you. And he said that to his face. What a fool. Really? But, okay. And he said that he was hard, that he does bad things. He questioned his integrity. Think about it. Like, to his face. Yeah, he's, he's a fool. A funny thing is, Jesus told another parable very similar in Luke chapter 19. Do you guys know this? Okay, very similar. Uh, it's like a guy who goes away who becomes a king, okay? And he gives one single mina to, or mina or mina uh, to his several servants. And you have a similar result. So a guy came with 10, who converted the one to 10 and one to f- five. You guys know the story, right? Exactly identical, except the, the currency is different. Instead of just a homeowner, he, was, he becomes a king, more political. But the words of the servant is almost identical. But um, the, in that parable, there's also a fool <laughs> who, who dug a hole, dug up the mine, and did nothing with it. And, and he said this, uh, Luke 19, 20, says, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you, had a, you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. Same thing. Okay? And his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, you knew, did you, that I was a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected with interest. Same response of the master of Matthew 25, okay? The only difference is that in Luke 19, this, oh, by the way, it's the same kingdom principle about God's return. It's the eschatology talk. It's just a few details are different, but pretty much the same parable. But Jesus added a single detail about this master. He says, I will judge it by your own words. Why is that important? Because it's our bad theology that gets us in trouble. That third servant believed that his master was a hard man who reaps where he did not sow. Meaning, he takes profit from where he did not work. How many of you guys have heard some people talk about some corporates. They're like, oh, they're all crooks. They're all making millions off of whatever. That's the kind of talk that poor people have about big, wealthy. They could have only got that kind of game by cheating others. And they question their integrity or righteousness without knowing any details. That's poor person mindset. Victim mindset. Because we know from the story that the master is metaphor for God. The servants, metaphor for God's people, entrusted with his estate and what we do on the earth when he comes back, he will judge according to our fruit. That's the story. That's the parable. I look at Luke 19, 
the details added that parallels Matthew 25 parable, because also in Matthew 25, you have the man says, why didn't you at least put it in a bank? I could have gotten interest. You evil, wicked servant. I feel like, I think it's the bad theology that gets us in trouble. By what we believe, we act on. By what we act on, we get judged on. But it starts with what we believe. If you believe that God is a hard God, if you believe God is a ruthless, wrath God, then you will never know his love. You will never be able to trust him because you think you have to work hard to earn his love. By what we believe, we act on it. But if you believe that he is faithful, he is good, he is and he loves you. He wants to bless you. If you believe that he wants to give you the abundant life, you're going to live according to be able to trust in that as opposed to victim mindset. God blesses his people. God blesses his people so that they can be a blessing. God doesn't just bless for the sake of here. God gives opportunities so that you can be a source of blessings to others. So the question is, do you believe that God has blessed you, entrusted to you with gifts and opportunities to be a blessing to others? And what have we done with it? You know, I... Let me expound on that. When I look at the Bible, I don't look at the Old Testament and New Testament very differently. I know some of you guys do. But I look at the whole Bible as one book, not a separation. Uh, you, You know... I'm going right to left. You're going left to right. So Old Testament here, the beginning, the creation. And as time progresses and leading up to the cross and after Jesus, after we're in the present day here, this is one big story. Do you understand? It's not a separation of Old Testament, Old Covenant. This is one big story. This is God's story. I, I, get that. God doesn't change. God has always desired to bless his children from the very beginning, from the time of the creation in Genesis all the way to the present. And the Jews know this better than anyone. Wealth, prosperity, jubilee. We're in the year of the jubilee. My goodness. They hold on to that and believe in faith. And why are they so prosperous? Now, we come to the New Testament after cross, and somehow in some churches, people believe Poverty is this way of holiness. Where do you get that in the Bible? Like I said, I said this before. Some cultures, like Korean, for pastors of the clergy, that they think that the whole way of holiness is poverty. Keep them humble, Lord. We'll keep them poor. It's, it's like really bad theology. But by what they believe, they act on it. But here's the thing, and I will just share this and I will move on. 
And I want you to do this. I say this because I need you to get out of poverty mindset to wherever your background might be. And believe me, there's some bad theologies out there. That's why I'm trying to refute that. Okay. God spoke. God blessed Abraham so that he can be a blessing to the nations. You guys know that? Okay. Genesis 12.3. And he said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Meaning, Abraham and his family and his descendants will be the channel of blessings to the nations. Okay, that's the promise that God said to Abraham. Okay, we come to the New Testament. What do you have? Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Understand, this is Paul, and this is the New Testament. This is the New Covenant. This is us. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay? So, if you believe that, okay, Jewish people, they're, they're prosperous and blessed, good. That's the covenant promise that you are walking into. Okay? There's no separation because of the cross. No theological change. God is the same. He's the same Father who desires to bless you so that you can be a channel of blessings to others. Okay. Coming back. Remember this third servant? Bad theology. If there are poor people in the church, I believe it's because of bad theology. No, really. And the church has a responsibility to teach truth. Not tradition, not culture, truth. Found in the scripture, Jesus, I've come to give you life, life abundantly. Shalom. For I know the plans I have for you. I've gone through that in the past. You you guys know this. I'm beating it. (laughs) But I remind you. So the master says in verse 26, he replied, You wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents for everyone who who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not, even what he has will be taken from him. So anyone who ever believed that God is a socialist, and I'm not talking, or no, I am not talking politics, but there are people who believe in bad theology who says God is, okay, equal opportunity. They would have problem with this. Because I'm pointing out, first of all, God entrusted five to one. He didn't, he, according to his ability. So there was different abilities, assignments. And then he called, a, settled the account based on what they did with it. His desire is to share in the joy, to give them more. That's our God. But to the one he knew his capability, he still gave him the opportunity. And I, that's, I see that as grace. But then he didn't do anything with it. So what did he do? He took that single talent that he did nothing with it and gave it to the guy with 10. Get that. Oh, that's so unfair. He already has 10. He's the least likely person who needs it. Isn't that the logic of the world? I'm saying, this is bad theology. But this is how God works. And I want you to get this. God is not equal. He sees who is faithful. 
Okay. Everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. That word for abundance is the same word that I, we went into the study when Jesus says, I've come to life in abundance. It's the extra. It's beyond what you expected. That's what the master's word is. He who has been faithful with little things, I'm going to give you even more. You, you did faithful with a little, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you abundance. That's the, the will of the Father, the will of our, the, our master God, and that's his heart. But to the one who did nothing with a one, not even the one, I would take it away. And that seems so unfair. But that's the accountability. If you are not going to steward well even the one that God entrusts, he will take that away and give it to the one. And, and this is just hypothetical. Have you ever noticed, why do some people just have it all? Have you ever said that about some people? Like, man, that person got it made. He's got the looks. He's got the car. He's got the girl. He's got the house. He's got the brains. He's got the look. And you're, like, jealous, like, how come one person have to have, I want some of that. I want the height. Yeah, that's my little insecurity. <laughs> no, really. Why do some people have all? And some who don't have any seem to have nothing. Maybe it's how we steward it. There are some capability where they say, I have a little bit. I don't have the money, but I'm going to work on it. God gave me the brains, I'm going to study. I'm going to develop these skills. I have $100 today, but he multiplies it to 1000 from 1000 to 100000 There is always growth in an area of business, and it always starts somewhere. And we look at the end result where somebody has made it, he's accomplished, and we're like, how come they got it all? They worked their butt off. They kind of deserve it. But we get jealous. And we think it's not fair. God says, if you are going to be faithful with a little, I'm going to give you even more. That's an incredible promise. If we are faithful with a little, he's going to give you even more. But the gist of this story is that there are his servants who bury it under dirt and do nothing with it. And have you ever considered why is he considered even wicked? I mean, I know he's a fool, but have you considered why he's wicked? And this is sort of the insights. Um, consider this. If he had taken that one talent and put it into a bank, what do the banks do? They give interest. But there's accounting for it. For every month or every time period where their interest is given, there's an accounting and reporting. Everything is documented. That's what banks do. The reason the servant buried it was that he thought maybe if the master doesn't come back, it will never be documented and it will be mine. If there's documentations, it's the master's money. You guys with me? There is this manipulative self-centeredness to steal. That's his wickedness. The master knew 
this behind the scene. If you put it in a bank, it, it, it does the same thing. There's a principal plus interest, but there's documentation. But if you bury it, there is no documentation. It's cash money. And if something happens to the master, especially back in the ancient times, it's his free money. That's his wickedness. And that is talking about, was a servant expecting the master to come back? Are you expecting Jesus to come back? If you expect him to come back, you will be more entrusted with the resources and you will have the urgency. Man, I have time limit. If the Lord is coming back next year, I have a time limit of what the resources he's given me today to do what I have to do by the time our, my master comes back. But if you think he's not going to come back, you're not going to do anything with it. You'll bury the, you know, in dirt, under dust, on the shelf, just like with your collection of Bibles. Unread, unopened. And he called that wickedness. Are we stewarding his gift? This message was not to call out anyone. But what inspired me with this message was that, and this, is, uh, this message has been on my heart for a while. And this is, I, I would say this is just the beginning because we're going to run out of time. So I, I can't expound on it much tonight. But really, this is the intro. And that is, I see the room, and this is the conversation that my wife and I just talked about. In our small gathering here, you know how many pastors and ministers there are in this room? <laughs> like, if we were to look at it as a ratio... We might have more pastors per capita than other churches. <laughs> pastors, ministers, gifted business people, all. Oh, there is resources right here in this room. I see you guys. And so here's the thing. You know, I don't know all your past. But what I see, and sometimes it takes a third person to see something greater, your potential, than what, what you're doing. And I have been encouraged, especially with um, our pastoral team in the resting place. And they have been such an encouragement because they speak life into me. When I get into this mode where I'm, like, insecure, I'm like, oh, I can't do this, where I can't speak, or I, I, I have mind game things. And people speak life and truth, what God has entrusted to me, empowered me to do, and the knowledge or other giftedness that I fail to see. Because it comes back to when God says, you don't even know the gifts I have given you. And I feel like you, you guys, you don't even know the gifts that you have been given that is over you, that I see your ability, but you're not using it. Do it. Okay. This is not an open dialogue. This is a sermon. <laughs> Granted, it's not a Korean church, but, you know, we're not a black church either. So, <laughs> but I love this, but here's my point. Since when did you guys need permission to act in faith of what the God has given you? Do you need church's permission? Sometimes if you want to do it within the confines of the church or the organizations or whatever. And I get that. But what I'm saying is, you guys have giftedness that you can, you, it's 
given to you to be a blessing to others. As a channel of blessing that God has given you to be blessing to others. And what I'm saying is, are you? And you know what you're, as, as I'm saying this, I'm, I'm seeing it already. Some of you guys are thinking this. And I'm going to call it out. Oh, God gave me that long years ago. I, I didn't use it. Some of you guys are thinking that right now. God called me, and I knew it, but I didn't use it. That's been sitting on my shelf. That's been collecting dust. That I buried. You don't need my permission. You don't need the church's permission. Or any church's permission. When God gives you something, you better use it. It's for you to have used it to be a channel of blessing to others. So we're going to look at stewardship in a deeper way in the coming weeks. And looking at our giftedness and what God has gifted us. And I will say, this is my personal testimony. <laughs> and I'm not badgering other churches. But I know there's been some bad theology about poverty, partnering with poverty in some of the other things, other places. Okay? But ever since I joined the resting place, in the culture here, and especially our senior leader, Caleb, you know, he's amazing. I would just flat out say that. He's young but so wise. And what he says of empowering everyone, having faith for everyone, and honoring everyone, he really, and I need a gift that was on me, that I'm wired a little bit different in some ways, that is valuable, let's say, in business setting. But I, I buried it because I'm a pastor. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't think about business or these things. But this is, I should be in a traditional mindset. This is how I should be. Do you understand? There's a cultural expectation of what my behavior or how I should focus my attention. So I ignored it. I come to the resting place since last year. And just the empowerment and recognition and the freedom to say, you keep doing what you're doing. And just by that, and, and I would say I, I uh, listened to messages and teachings. Jim Baker, uh, who came out of TRP, spoke, and he has a Wealth with God uh, teachings. And this is not J Jim Baker with Kathy Faye, uh, you know, the scandal. This is different. It was it Jim Baker with 1K and no Kathy, Kathy Faye? I think that's what he says. Okay. Great teachings, okay? And if you go to his church, and if you want the link, I can uh, email me, and I can send you the link. But on his website, or the, his church, his sermons, he has awesome teaching. He's a great pastor, teacher, but he has uh, Wealth with God teaching series. And, and it's something that we've already been doing. This is what, how our family has stewarded our finances and believed and have been already doing before even this course. But... Again, this is about partnering with God and finding from the scripture, wait a minute, it's not bad to be affluent. It's not bad to be gifted in these areas. Wait a minute, God gave me these gifts. <laughs> and yet the church, I felt in some church to be impoverished because that's what I was supposed to. And once I was free from that, just from that changing of the mindset and saying, just, Lord, you, you speak to me, you do what you will, and I, I will... And there's been blessings this past year. I'm not saying that to brag or, or to tell you anything. But I'm just saying it started with mindset change. 
And I can't tell you how good it is to be able to to praise God, one. To have the resources so that we could do a church plan and not be worried about finances. Do you guys understand what church plan? You, you're usually subject to what other churches find and support. That we can just focus on the ministry. And God just said, invest in the kingdom, I'll take care of the rest. That was the word that he said to me while I was worried about all these other things. I'm just saying, if we start with a mindset that God is good, and we are his managers, not owners of what our property is, stewards, you start with that, I promise you. He says, come share in my joy. You've been faithful to the little, I will give you more, an abundance, if you're faithful to the things. You guys with me so far? Okay. Uh, before I go away over time, I'm going to close with that. Um, prayer team, come up. And, and I'm going to give this challenge. I know, believe me, this message is not for you to give more. Okay, that was that nowhere in my agenda. But I know whenever there's talk about money or stewardship or blessings or things like that, I know that some of people just immediately put up a wall thinking, okay, he's going to get ready to ask. That's not me. And I, and I share, I don't need the finances from the church. God has already blessed me. But I want you to be more blessed financially. And if you have been keeping, holding back, thinking, oh, church is saying that because he, they want my money, you have no idea how wrong you are. I'm saying this so that you receive more from God. Because if you have that kind of mindset, you cannot be a good steward. I promise you, you cannot have that mindset. And I, and I want to teach you good theology from the scripture. And you, if you disagree, you can, re hey, Pastor Eric, come on, let's have a conversation. This is what I say. I welcome that. You understand? But don't jump to conclusions saying the churches want my money. That no. You're, you might as well be that third servant that says, oh, I know you're a hard man. You're going to reap where you did not sow. No. I'll, I'll be most transparent, show you my bank account, show what the church has done. I, and I deliberately choose not to see who gives what for that very reason. So I have no idea what you guys give. But I want you to be blessed. I... As your pastor, want nothing more than for you to flourish as sons and daughters to receive everything in the fullness what Jesus wants to release onto you. That's my heart in this message. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Resting Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. 